0: Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen.
1: And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo.
0: Hey, Nicole, it's good to see you. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Chris. How about yourself?
0: Doing much better than last week when I had the frog in my throat. So, feeling <laughs> great. Yeah, feeling chipper. Uh, today's exciting one because performance horses and. Uh, You know, this could define quite a bit of our our population of horses in the United States and around the world as a performance horse. So talking about their nutrition today, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. And I think people are going to really want to listen to this one. I guess just to start it off, because, you know, from a nutritionist standpoint, how do you define a performance horse? Because we could argue almost any horse is a quote unquote performance horse, right?
1: Yeah. So if you like look in the NRC, there's not like performance horse as a category that we develop nutrients for. So I would say that any horse who does a job is a performance horse. So you have the horse at maintenance who is not doing anything. They of course still have nutrient requirements. We've talked about that a bunch, but then when you work into light, moderate, intense, very intense even though not all of those horses are working crazy hard, they're still performing a job and their nutrient requirements are going to shift as a result of that. So I would say, I mean, if the horse is doing more than puttering around once a week, it would probably be categorized as a performance horse. So it encompasses a lot of different horses. It's just the needs differ depending on the level of work, the type of job, all of that fun stuff.
0: So when you talk about... I guess I would ask, could you define the different levels? Because we talk about low, medium, and high performance. Could you associate those with certain disciplines?
1: You know, the way that the NRC defines that, Chris, is really based on level of work. A horse that's in light work, you know, they define as one to three hours per week, 40% of that at the walk, you know, 50% at trot, a little bit canner. So that's probably recreational riding, maybe some light trail riding. Some horses that show might fall into that category of work. Moderate, you get to more, a little bit more intense. So three to five hours per week, 55% of the trot, 10% canner. And then you have 5% being skill work, maybe a little bit of jumping, something like that. Again, that's probably some of your lower level disciplines. Um, A jumper could be anywhere from light to intense. So I think it's a little bit challenging in terms of some of those disciplines. discipline. Eventing would be the same thing. A horse who's going beginner novice might be probably in that moderate, uh, but an upper level event horse would be in that very, very intense. I think straightforward would be you know, light recreational riding would be in the light category usually. Racing, upper level eventing would be in the intense, and then a lot of your other disciplines are going to move throughout those different categories. Um, endurance, a lot of times, is going to be in the t- intense or very intense. But the type of job they're doing is totally different from a racehorse, so. Just because they're in that intense level doesn't mean the type of job, whether they're working aerobically or anaerobically and exactly what their nutrient requirements look like are the same. So I think it's a little bit hard to think about performance horses based on discipline, simply categorizing them into light, moderate, heavy Because a lot of the disciplines we do, do you have a four-year-old that's in really heavy training because it's learning its job? Mm -hmm. Or is your horse 17, gets light work, and then pops in the show ring because it knows what it's doing?
0: Right, right, yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Okay, okay, so that's a good point. But we we have the different levels. And I guess before we start talking about, like, how to to feed these horses – Laying the groundwork for it or the, or the bottom line, do all horses need additional nutrients on top of grass or forage? You know, it's something I, I know we've talked about in previous podcasts, but I think it's always good to, to revisit this, meaning I have a horse, we call them a lawn ornament, or they're rarely ridden, they're just kind of in retirement, they're out there on my pastures that are generally green, I'll get some hay in, do I need to give them additional nutrients on top of what they're already getting?
1: yes. So just because a horse doesn't do a job doesn't mean that forage is able to fill all of its non-energy nutrient requirements. Calories is often the simple one to meet for those easy keepers or horses in light work. So they get enough calories or energy from their grass or their hay, and they maintain their body condition. But even the horse doing nothing on amazing forage still isn't going to get all of the amino acids, vitamins, and minerals it needs in its diet. Now, the nice thing is that horse is an easy keeper. It doesn't need a ton of additional fortification. So usually one pound of ration balancer does the trick and we move on. So that's relatively simple. As horses work harder, oftentimes their calorie needs go up. So that's not to say that there aren't some horses doing fairly significant jobs that are maintaining their body condition on forage alone. It's not always the case, but some do, but their non energy nutrient requirements are going up from that baseline. And we know even great forage, we can't meet the baseline to support optimal health and wellness. And then you extend that to performance for horses doing a job. So they may get on fine And oftentimes for a long amount of time until they're stressed or they're challenged in some way. And then having that nutrient cup not quite full really comes out in their ability to recover from an injury, to deal with an illness, something like that. So I know all of us love our horses, whether they're doing nothing or they're doing a lot, we want to make sure we're feeding them to optimal health wellness extend that to performance not just the baseline so from that perspective we always need to fill in gaps the extent of the gaps does vary based on what the horse is doing
0: right right exactly good way to lay that out and even last week you know we were talking about selenium and uh, you know it doesn't matter if your horse isn't doing anything if they're on selenium deficient soils they need that source from somewhere or you're going to start to see some uh, detrimental uh, effects on their health All right, so let's bring it back to performance horses. So that's good. There's the baseline. So every horse needs additional nutrients on top of forage. With our performance horses, I, I guess you can, we will talk about level of performance, but what are just some of the broad nutrient requirements that go up once they start exercising and training? I think the obvious one you just mentioned was calories, but what are some of the others? Or you can talk about calories first, and I guess, and then what are some of the other nutrient categories that that do increase with performance?
1: Sure. So like I said, if you look at the NRC, the largest magnitude of difference when we go from light exercise to very intense exercise, the largest magnitude of difference is in energy. That horse is expending more calories to do their job. Now, that doesn't really take into consideration. There's difference in basal metabolism between horses. And like I said, there are some horses that work harder who need less supplemental calories than horses doing nothing. You know, we all know the example of, you know, the easy keeper who is out there being ridden versus the hard keeper who just stands in a field and you have to feed the hard keeper more calories. So there Mm -hmm. is some difference in basal metabolism. But if we look strictly based on the book, energy is your largest magnitude of difference. Other things that increase, protein increases, but in reality, what's actually increasing are their amino acid needs. So, lysine is the only one we have defined. We know methionine and threonine are likely limiting as well. That's going to support muscle recovery, muscle building, all that stuff you need for the performance horse. Some macro minerals increase, calcium increases, phosphorus increases. Phosphorus is interesting because it increases a lot. So the reason, if you look at the magnitude and change that phosphorus goes up so much is because it's a component of ATP. ATP is the energy currency in everything, in Mm -hmm, us, mm -hmm. the horse, you know, all of the things that we feed for energy, fat, sugar, and starch, it eventually ends up supplying ATP. Now, it's a relatively easy thing to meet the horse's phosphorus needs, but that goes up quite a bit because of that. You also see increases in things like copper and zinc. Vitamins are a little more interesting. So based on the NRC, vitamins A and D do not increase with increasing level of exercise. Vitamin E, however, does. That makes sense. It works as an antioxidant. You create more reactive oxygen species with harder levels of work. And your B vitamins also increase with increased level of work as well. Now the horse is going to make a lot of B vitamins in their hindgut provided they have a a healthy hindgut and B plenty of good quality forage. But for example, we add some B vitamins just in case the hindgut isn't working great, or maybe your forage isn't as great as it should be. Like that's something that in a commercially formulated feed, we choose to add to kind of fill some of those stop gaps that do increase with work.
0: No, yeah, okay. So that's a good, that's a definitely good broad picture. Now, looking at each of these categories, the next step is: does the level of performance impact those needs? And you you addressed it a little bit, but maybe it's good for a, a review. So we know definitely calories depending on me- basic metabolism, uh, but amino acids is, is that shift big between low, medium, and higher levels of performance, and some of those macronutrients. Do those shift?
1: You know, I actually have a nice little figure that goes... A lot of times when we have a podcast, I don't know if people know this, we also have an accompanying article Mm -hmm. that gets posted to our website. It's on our Facebook. So I will, if you want to visually see this, I will reference this article that you can find posted around the same time that we launched this podcast. But you can see the percent increase over Lightwork. And I think this is a good way to visualize this. So I took the horse in Lightwork... And then I compared how much each of these nutrient needs increases as we go up the levels. So to give you an example, if we look at digestible energy, which is our calories. So when you move from light to moderate work, that increases a little bit under 20%. When you move from light to very heavy or very intense work, that increases over 70%. So that's what I'm saying. It's the largest magnitude of difference. Crude protein, okay, when we move from light to moderate, only increases about 10%. The increase is almost 40% when we go from light to very heavy. So things that increase a lot are really digestible energy and phosphorus. Those are our two biggest movers. You know, your copper and zinc, um, once you go from light to very heavy work, you're at, oh, let's see, zinc is about 25%. Copper actually mirrors that. So the Copper and zinc lines go together, which makes sense because the ratio of those, so the amount in the diet, we keep fairly consistent, even though some bouncing around can happen and still be okay, but both of those kind of increase at the same magnitude. So it really depends on what nutrient we are talking about, what the magnitude of increase is, and it it does vary.
0: All right, so if we start looking at how to meet these needs, uh, how they differ... I guess I just talk about, because uh, this is a big one. And I know, uh, you know, since we started this podcast, these are things we, we've gone back and forth on. And that is managing these energy requirements and NSC. Uh, I know you wrote an article on low NSC diets for performance horses. So so what is the best approach that you would recommend to horse owners on balancing these this increased need for energy? Calories, right? We used to just feed them what more grain, more starch, more sugar to to get that energy, but that shifted quite a bit in the last decade or two.
1: Absolutely, and and this is an area that the NRC hasn't really caught up to yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we get just a digestible energy requirement, and again, like we talked about, yeah, that's a defined requirement. But unlike copper, for example, I'm like, yep, copper, this is the minimum amount we formulate to that. Digestible energy moves around a lot more just based on basal metabolism. So yes, that's an average number, but that doesn't mean that every horse who works harder needs 50% more energy to maintain their body condition. They might need 20%. They might need 70%. Just depends on the horse. Now, when it comes to NSC, non-structural carbohydrates, sugar, and starch, I will say very simply that the sweet feed corn, oats, barley of old no horse needs that.
0: Mm. Is
1: it cheap energy? Absolutely. But we know there are so many negative health impacts that come with feeding those super high NSC diets. Even horses who need quite a bit of sugar and starch in their diet to do their job don't need things that are 50 to 60% NSC. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Straight oats are 55% NSC. I know.
0: Okay, I <laughs> always told people feed oats. It's the safest feed. But Yes. that's years ago. Yeah.
1: yeah. So we, but we've learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So it, as intensity of work increases, the horse's tolerance and need for non-structural carbohydrates increases as well. So the best example of that is the racing thoroughbred that horse is working incredibly hard. And because of the type of work they do, they not, they need a lot of fast energy So they need sugar and starch in order to fuel their job and to replenish glycogen. So glycogen is how we store carbohydrates in the muscle. Because when a horse is working anaerobically, once they're out of blood glucose, they have to access that glycogen in order to support their job. If we're thinking about how do you balance what type of energy you need for your horse's job... I think a simple way to think about it is if you do longer, slower work, you want cooler calories, okay? Because the horse is working aerobically, the horse is very adept at using fat and fiber as their energy source, specifically fat, while they're working aerobically. Once they're working anaerobically, they can only use sugar. Now, most of our horses are doing jobs that primarily they stay aerobic and maybe for short amount of time they go anaerobic. So from that perspective, I think if you're doing longer, slower jobs, you could even be going pretty high intensity in the sense that the endurance horse works incredibly hard, but they're longer, slower miles compared to the thoroughbred who is in the same, uh, the racing thoroughbred. Same intensity level. But they're doing a very different job. Now, I'm going to give you like super rough thoughts on this with the caveat Mm -hmm. that in general, percentage by itself is not a valuable way to look at NSE Because we have to think about intake as well. I always talk about how, you know, you could feed something that might be a tick higher in NSC, but if it's higher fat and you decrease daily intake, you might decrease your total NSC intake. So just keep in mind, these are not hard and fast rules, but for the metabolic horse, we try to keep NSC really low. A, those horses probably aren't doing a significant job. B, we know that sugar and starch elevates their insulin, which increases their risk of laminitis. Those horses were really trying to keep NSC low. Generally, under 15% total diet, we're trying to keep the forage closer to 10 to 12% because that's the bulk of their diet. We have tons of podcasts on that. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're thinking about horses in light to moderate work, in general, a middle of the road fat, if we can stay between 15 and low 20s on our NSC, we can get up into the low 20s pretty effectively if we're in high fat feed because we can keep intake down, that's appropriate. For those horses that are working really, really hard, the intense ones who need NSC to fuel their type of job, a lot of times we're looking at 30 to 35% NSC for a racehorse, for example. There is quite a bit of research that's looked at, like what is the minimum amount of NSC required to refill glycogen for those horses? If you fed them that feed that was 15% NSC, you would inhibit performance. And on top of that, you would limit recovery. And that increases your risk of injury, because they're not replenishing their glycogen, which means they're going to run out of steam doing their job. So that's just super, super rough. Um, in general, you know, in our line, I for I look at feeds like Calm and Easy, Senior Sport, sometimes Calm Ultra, If it's a horse who's a harder keeper for those horses in light to moderate work, we really bump up more towards calm ultra when they're in heavy work. And then, of course, the race feeds for those horses in very intense work. Right, right. But for the endurance horse, you know, senior sport might be perfect combination of those fat and fiber calories to support a long term job. So it is challenging to try to balance those things Um, and certainly something when we put together an individualized feeding plan. I mean, one of the questions we ask, what do you do with your horse? What intensity? Things like that to help point you towards a feed. Um, No one needs super high, but in the healthy performance horse, you can technically go too low with NSC and inhibit performance. Of course, there's lots of metabolic issues that some performance horses still do their jobs with uh polysaccharide storage myopathy RER we did a whole podcast on that where then you know you have to balance their NSE intake a little closer because they have a health issue
0: it's so complex these days it's just this is why I'm thinking sitting here thinking okay this is why you get paid the big bucks you know we say that as an equine nutritionist figuring this all out today you know, compared to years and years ago, like, oh, just give them some more grain and they'll be okay.
1: Right. The more we learn, the harder it is. But okay. I apologize if I made that sound really complicated. No, no, you did
0: it. You did boil it down. You did boil it down. Especially I love the, the, the cool burning calories. I'd love that. That was great. But yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Okay. for the most part, it's not that hard. So one of the things that you're doing as your horse works harder, in general, they require more calories. So you feed more. And because these feeds are designed, okay, here's the minimum for a horse at maintenance, calm and easy, four pounds a day. As your horse works harder, they require more calories. Generally, you're going to bump it up. Now you're going to feed five, six, seven pounds of calm and easy. All your other nutrients that they need for work are increasing too. So from that perspective, a lot of times it's relatively simple. As your horse's work level increases, we design the feeds to be able to increase all of their needs very seamlessly as they work harder. Yeah.
0: No, you did lay it out. I'm just saying like it's just amazing how... How, where we've been in in my career, you know, when I started off as an undergrad going, oh, this is how you feed a horse, okay, throw some oats, you know, throw some hay, they're good to oh no, now we've got nSCs and <laughs> this fat percentage and <laughs> yeah, it's amazing and, 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 and I'm glad because it's it's given us work to do in in this podcast too. so and I just want to put a reminder out there real quick too. you did mention personalized feeding plans. If you are confused or if you need help, reach out to the tribute team. It's free. Uh, They give you free consultation. They can lay out a feeding plan for you. Uh, The link's always in the show notes. Uh, Before we sign off, Nicole, any final tips?
1: So I'd say in general, don't make it too complicated. So if we choose the right feed, we shouldn't have to add a lot of extra stuff to support the performance horse's needs. One area that's a little challenging is if you have the easy keeping performance horse. So you have a horse that's doing a moderate level job, but doesn't need extra calories. Ration balancers are for those horses too. So I have a lot of horses who are performance horses that eat essential K because they have those increased nutrient needs, protein, copper, zinc, vitamins. They need those, even if they don't need the calories. And if you have a horse that kind of falls in the middle, Something we do a lot is if you're at the lower end of, let's say you're only feeding four pounds of Calm and, easy, and you're like, my horse is working pretty hard. Is this covering it? Maybe not, but we can add a half or one pound of essential K on top of that to meet all of those other needs. So I really like thinking about needs separately. So the non-energy nutrient needs, are we meeting those? And then thinking separately about the calories because if we just focus on calories, a lot of times we don't supply all of what we need for the relatively easy keeping performance horse. And that's important for muscle recovery, all of those things to help them do their jobs. And that's what we want at the end of the day, make it easy for a horse to work with us to do our desired discipline.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for listening. I think this is something we're going to, we're going to address again in the future because it's just, it brings up so many things and, If you have any ideas or specifics from this podcast that you'd like to learn more about, please visit us on social media, go to Facebook or email us and let us know the topics you're interested in hearing more about, and we will add them to our list. But uh, fascinating as always. Thank you for listening. And uh, thanks for explaining that today, Nicole.
1: Thanks, Chris.